This is an emergency broadcast. For your safety follow these instructions. Do not look outside. Do not let the outside look in. Do not call over the telephone. Do not answer the door. Do not respond to a voice. If you are blind, keep your eyes shut. Do not speak loudly. Do not pray. Do not sleep without another watching. And listen to the Wrinkled Rabbit Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Wrinkled Rabbit Podcast. As always, I'm Bill Borowski. I'm Edward Rebel. I'm Jason Snyder. And I'm Drew Erler. And this week we are talking about a special pick. Uh, it's a good pick to have everyone back in the saddle again. Uh, this is like the first time in like two months that we're all back together. And it's a Jason pick. It is Violence Voyager. So Jason, do you have the six degrees of separation to see how we're connected to last week's movie, uh, The Hand of God? took me a second. I forgot what we watched. Oh boy, do I. So The Hand of God obviously featured a very, well, didn't feature, but in the background there's a very prolific soccer player named Diego Maradona. He was the captain of his team, won the World Cup. Another captain that won the World Cup was uh, a player for England named Bobby Moore. Bobby Moore was in a movie called Escape to Victory with Michael Caine, who was in the Batman trilogy uh, with Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman was in Mank. And then voice actor Derek Petropoulos had a role in Mank as Eddie Cantor. And he voiced George and Sota Koike in Violence Voyager. There we go. At first, I was worried that you were going to say, when you mentioned that soccer player's name was Bobby, I thought you were going to say, and a character in this movie was named Bobby. (laughs) (laughs) going to blow a gasket. But, Jason, why did you choose Violence Voyager for us to talk about today? Um, Well, this is the second movie from Ujicha that I put on. I think he only has these two movies and then, like, short films. Obviously, because... It just takes so long to do paper animation, I imagine, when you're literally drawing the entire thing yourself and moving it. But I wanted to uh, to potentially talk about, because to me, I feel like this is co- sort of like an elevation from his last work, and I feel the themes are a lot more accessible to a Western audience as well, and it kind of just lets you take in all the the gory elements a bit more a bit more easily um and i thought it'd be interesting to have people talk about it again (laughs) i definitely like this more than the burning buddha man i feel like i'll be in the minority in saying that um just because i kind of like that there was the gradual ramp up into insanity where it's like this alice in wonderland sort of story where it starts off relatively normal, and then it just kind of gets madder and madder and madder until you're like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, and I enjoy the, enjoy those kind of stories. Uh, I mean, I also enjoyed Bernie Buddha Man, but I definitely saw it as like, it's weird and kooky. Uh, fun watch. But this, I thought, at least to me, appealed to my senses more, and I kind of had a bit more uh, to enjoy... And it was definitely, it, it was more disturbing than Burning Buddha Man to me, for sure. And yeah, it, it was definitely like Burning Buddha Man, a what-the-fuck watch that you would show to people. And I understand why you would pick this, because I feel like anything Ujita does is going to be one of those things where you're going to question everything. Your life choices, the movie, 
just everything. Yeah, this one made me a lot more distressed than Burning Buddha Man while I was watching it. And as I was watching it, I couldn't tell if that was a good thing or a bad thing. But I think I've settled into it being enjoyable because I agree with what Bill said. The, the, the ramp up was nice in terms of the story. Um, it definitely, what you mentioned, the accessibility to Western audiences. I definitely felt that um, with this one as well. And yeah, so that was kind of going, I liked that better. Um, and it was neat with the, once again to see like the animation style. Um, I felt like with Burning Buddha Man, I maybe appreciated it more just because it wasn't something that I'd seen by the time we got here. Um, all the little charms and whatnot were, you know, things that we'd already seen with Burning Buddha Man. So I liked them, but I don't think they hit me like quite the same way that they did in that one. But yeah, and, and almost, it's funny because the last time, or one of the last times I remember being on here was Time Bandits, which is a while ago, but I referenced Goosebumps and how that had all of the like nice whimsical elements of a Goosebumps episode. And this one almost gave me the like stomach churning as I guess as a dis like distressing elements of that. And so, yeah, I definitely enjoyed it uh, in that sense for sure. Too bad that episode is lost media. Oh, yeah, that's sad. I actually might think I'm in the minority in thinking it's not as disturbing as Burning Buddha Man. At least in my memory of my experience of Burning Buddha Man, I think the alienation I experienced while watching BBM <laughs> was uh, sort of amplified everything else and also the animation style being totally alien to me. Um, there's a lot more like slime in Burning Buddha Man, I feel like. And the creature design in that one is, I feel like, on a whole nother level. Uh, or there's like more of it. I don't know. This one, I, I like this one more, I think, for the same reason that you said, Bill, because it's got a more discernible, like, arc to the story. Um, it's absolutely more accessible. Uh, I feel like the backdrop of the story is kind of more interesting because you kind of understand what's going on a little better, but not as stomach churning. I don't know why. I think maybe the reason I found this one disturbing is more disturbing is because there was more in the story to latch on to, and that was more of a focus. That's sort of what I was getting at with the animation style becoming familiar. Is it in the first one? I was like, oh, like look at these creature designs, and then how they're like, you know, animating the people, basically just like moving them around in the shot, and look at the like the little fire and the goo and all that kind of stuff. That so that almost took my mind off of the you know, more disturbing elements of that story, I guess. With this, it really felt like that was all there was, um, or I guess like the primary thing to latch on to since, uh, you know, the, the main, like, I guess new elements of it were already kind of familiar. And so, yeah, I was more like seeped into all of the, the disturbia and the dirtiness of uh, what was going on in the story. Yeah, I also think it helped that, like, I feel like the animation was also a step up uh, in terms of just, I feel like, the jankiness. Uh, there was a charm with the janky, jankiness in Burning Buddha Man, but this, there was a sense of more smoother action to the movements. I, I still kind of love how, like, the soundscape is super minimalistic, where it's like, 
only put sound effects when we need it. You don't really need anything. Just, like, stuff that will get by. Most of the budget and the time will be going toward the animation, and then we'll throw this in there, too. So I feel like the third piece of the pie for the final, uh, or the third movie Ujita makes would be, like, really going into the sound design. So you could have, like, the sound design, the animation, the voice acting, and all, all that, but... Also, I feel like that's kind of a part of his style is the very limited soundscape, so I can definitely see him just not doing that at all. So, Did you guys watch the English dub or the subtitle? I watched the English dub because that was the only one that was available to me. Yeah, me too. Which, the English dub wasn't... It was better than what I thought it was going to be. It wasn't awful. Well, it was fine because their mouths don't move. That's what I... That's what I you know, that was my thinking. <laughs> Um, I did like that the cat's name was Derek, though. I was kind of thinking that that might be, like, a failure of translation or something. Because, like, why would you name the cat Derek? <laughs> was really funny to me. And they said his name, like, a million times, I feel like. The scene, the scene where Derek originally falls off the cliff was so funnily shot. Like, the way there was that, like, yeah. split-second shot of Derek's eyes going, mm, and then he falls off. <laughs> He's like, Derek! It was so Yeah. Funny. I love that all the sound effects are, like, people... doesn't matter if it's an animal or whatever. It's always a person doing the sound. But I think with the... Like, Bill, you were saying things were a lot clearer and smoother. And the scene about Derek actually reminded me of this. Uh, I think the camera work and, um, like, Ujicha's gesture work with the characters is a lot more uh, direct and obvious. Um, and then you get, like, a lot of those little zooms and, like, whip pans and stuff. And I feel like I didn't see a ton of that in Burning Buddha Man. It was kind of, like, very minimalistic uh, camera work. Yeah, I think that's totally right. Because I'm trying to think back, and I can't really think. A lot of the Burning Buddha Man just felt like point, shoot, you know, next scene, point, shoot, that kind of thing. This one really felt like it was trying to, or like, you know, like give a like more realistic or I guess like traditional um, way of shooting it on this, um, you know, different animation style. And also something I was trying to think back to if they had done in Burning Buddha Man or not was all of the like the constant fades. It felt very much like it was structured like it could have been a little TV show or like TV episode as well. Yeah. You know how scenes would end with those fades. I don't really remember that from Burning Buddha Man. I don't remember much of anything from Burning Buddha Man. <laughs> My favorite character name uh, was uh, Old Man Lucky Monkey because... Before you even meet him, you meet a monkey just, like, hanging out in the bathroom. Yeah. And the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, so the kid is friends with a monkey that hangs upside down in the bathroom. Okay, great. Uh, but then the actual old man lucky monkey comes in. And his introduction is, like, so creepy that that's where I started to pick up on, like, the, the very weird unsettling nature of the film but uh i just love his name and that they set him up almost to be like a pedophile and then he ends up being like the saving grace for their uh little adventure <laughs> yeah i think that 
like first impression hit me too because the whole time I was waiting for him to like have a turn and sort of like go, you know go against them or be revealed as like the larger mastermind something along those lines um even up to like the last shot of his I think probably in the film where he's like walking up the stairs and he's sort of like looking back as uh Bobby is training in the ba- like the basement and I was like, oh, like, is that a, like, nefarious look? Is he going to come back? And that was, I think, probably the last time he appeared. But there was genuinely no moment when I trusted that guy. (laughs) For that first interaction, again, something that I don't think he used in BBM, as we're calling it now, was, like, cutting out slits in the paper and then adding, like, a secondary piece of paper to the figure. In that first interaction... He cut out the eyes of old man Lucky Monkey, and then he had them do that like back and forth shifty eye thing. Mm-hmm. And that I was like, oh, damn, he's a bad guy. Get him. I never got the impression that he was bad. I feel like his warning them not to go to the mountain pretty much solidified that he's like in good guy territory. What I didn't understand was dad's characterization and how he's like a jerk and like neglectful to Bobby. But then as soon as Bobby goes missing, he becomes like the hero trying to save him. And then they have like a loving relationship. Like, I don't really know what's going on there or how I'm supposed to feel about his dad. But old man Lucky Monkey was pretty much in the good camp for me the whole time. I wasn't trusting anybody uh, besides the the two kids. I thought everyone was sus. Yeah, I wanted that little brother to to pull some shit. At first, when Bobby's dad goes to their house and he's trying to get information, for some reason I got my wires crossed and I was thinking the little brother was his father. And so I was like, why is his father like extorting the other father for information? (laughs) Like, Like, don't you think they'd be mutually interested like, they would have, you know, they both want the same thing in this scenario. Um, and now I realized it was the little brother. One of the things that I love, or like this art style, is the little details that he adds to, like, the character designs. Like, them being bald with, like, the weird quilted pattern on their head for no reason at all is just really, it's almost like Uncanny valley unsettling where it just puts you off a little bit and then there's so much in this thing in this movie that just puts you off a little bit to the point where the whole thing just feels um wrong and that's where you get like that fever dream off kilter kind of aspect where it's like all wrong but it's not too far wrong to the point where you can put your finger on it i i was wondering if the whole the fun park amusement park thing was like a more regional like a more japanese thing or he's japanese right this is because i didn't really under like i don't know that that's just something like in your village and and they just go to it and but like they didn't know it was there before maybe that's an off-kilter aspect of it or maybe that's a i don't know there's more children's fun parks in japan or i feel like that's just part of the like alice in wonderland nature of it where this thing just kind of magically appears at least that's how i took it 
I definitely think that the kids around town would definitely know if something that ex- like that existed, especially if like kids go missing and like they're like mutilated and tortured and turned into muck. You know what did remind me of this episode? It's Welcome to Horrorland. Totally. Same idea where it's the the amusement park just kind of appears out of nowhere, and you're like, I don't understand what this place is. Like I remember it had like paved roads and like all the, like the arrows to point to where stuff was, and for some reason, Horrorland being like an elaborate trap or like mirage, but it also being so fully fleshed out to the point where it has like infrastructure and employees and just made it even more disturbing to me. And I was feeling this a similar, like, thing. Like, it had signs, and it had paths, and it had, like, a little amusement park map. And there's something about that that just, like, puts you off. Yeah, I wonder why that's, like, a thing that's obviously revisited here. But it definitely has a creepy creepiness to it. It's almost because it feels like it's unfair. Like, the amount of work that the person put in or that the people involved put in, like, you literally have no hope. Well, I think it's also, like, you had to... He built it all with his own hands. No, you didn't. Like, that's impossible. Um, And so I think building an amusement park is, like, a whole process that involves, like, you con- like contractors. You need, like, construction workers. It's, like, several teams. And it's meant yeah. to kill, like, it's a well, murder thing. Especially because after you do the first couple, like people are going to catch on and then what are you going to just build a new one somewhere else? Like that's actually, that's what bothered me about the old guy at first is that he left it so vague that it made the kids want to go in the mountains, you know, like the, Oh, those mountains are cursed. You can't go in there kind of thing. Like if he had said, no, there's like an amusement park, even if that at the very least, he'd be like, don't go to the amusement park. It's a trap they're going to turn you into some mutant and like kill your family if they try to save you. It's kind of what I thought the old man was the old man, old man, monkey, lucky monkey, monkey. old man, lucky monkey. I thought he was like the typical going to be the typical, like old man at the gas station being like, that house is haunted kids. You don't want to go there. Like, uh, you know, just the sideshow weirdo that, the kids walk past and they're like, you're crazy, old man. We're going to go anyway. Um, turned out to be more than that, but I kind of see what you're saying. You know what? Now that we're talking about this, this, like, it takes tropes from all these disparate uh, genres. Like, you have a lot of horror tropes, but then you also have, like, a, like a training montage trope at the end which is sort of late in the movie for it to happen at least that was my what i was thinking is i was like are you really doing this right now like how much is left in the movie and like the multiple animal team and there was a really cheesy quote where what did he say he said like something about friends yeah he said like did you ever think like you'd have all these friends and he's like with these friends i can do anything like i feel like i can do anything um you've also got like the bully group trope and like they're outsiders but they're friends and like they're bonded by that um maybe the american kid 
like being sort of odd man out is a trope in in other or it's like a stereotype in some other in like Japan or other parts of the world, like the American kid being an outsider. I thought that was an interesting addition. Uh Edward mentioned how they said like even a big strong American couldn't survive that fall, which was sort of funny. Him just being the way he was, like brave and like wanting to save people. Uh like he got the girl pretty natural like he just naturally um made himself like he was attractive to the ladies i feel like right off the bat and he like wanted to help women i was like of course this is what americans are going to be in this movie well another trope that they threw in was um like a frankenstein pinocchio thing uh where he's like don't worry son you'll be a real boy one day (laughs) oh yeah at what point does it become too many things thrown together or does the animation being what it is give it sort of a pass to be whatever it wants wants cuz the animation's i feel like interesting enough that you'll it'll support the runtime cuz it's only an hour 20 it's or something it's not that long now it's that time for a little segment we like to call listen you little wiseacre i'm smart you're dumb i'm big you're little i'm right you're wrong and there's nothing you can do about it it's a segment where we pick a letterbox review, we read it, gives us usually the flip side, more negative side of the perspective we're talking about today. We give our counterpoints or reasons why they should give another chance or rewatch. So I'm going to take it away with this week's review. And this person's favorite movies are Rashomon, Old Boy, Once Upon a Time in the West, and Big Trouble in Little China. And he gave Violence Voyager two and a half stars. And it goes a little something like this. Done in a unique Gekimation style, paper cutout style, uh, we stutter step down the path of the bizarre and disgusting. Everything is off kilter and hard to decipher. There's nothing quite normal about even the mundane. Everything being slightly awry or twisted, of course, that isn't getting uh, into the ineffable alien mutation experiments or the tangible purpose of it all. Was the meaning of it all to push you slightly out of the phase of normalcy and to build a playground of disturbia in that hazy in between? It slimly succeeds. The styling is plainly simplistic while at the same time grudgingly time intensive and deeply involved. The effect sometimes works wonders and at other times leaves it lagging undynamic. Uh, there's an uncanny cross pollination of the flat paper and 3D li- liquid interactions. It somehow made it more visceral, visceral and jarring. It also added the lo-fi childlike experience. It is weird, but for weird's sake, which makes it a spectacle, but not a fully realized cinematic experience. Uh, it is a film all by itself doing its own thing in its own way, caring for only what it wants to do. This may not be quite enough for me to melt into the withering flesh pit it presents, but a little. Uh, but it ended up being a little uh, sinuous. Uh, what the fuck? Uh, but it was a little strange that tasted sweet enough. Whatever. Point is, uh, it was weird for weirdest sake, and uh, he admired it for doing what it wanted, but it wasn't quite enough for him to make it a satisfying viewing experience. Um, I especially like what they say, actually, about um, the interaction between physical stuff and the paper. That was, I think, something that I mentioned in the Burning Buddha Man as well. That's just something that pops out to me, and I feel like it's really, really effective. I feel like they made enough use of it in this 
movie, especially considering you had like the sequences or you had like the set piece of all the uh, incubating children in like the vat. Have done more with that, and he has to realize that the movie's at its best, the animation style's at its best when the paper is like contrasting with other things. Um, so I'm surprised he hasn't involved like 3D built sets with like more textures. Like you could add like actual trees and like moss and like diorama stuff, and then you have like the paper characters move through it. I also agree with what he said about how sometimes word that they used is like it lacks dynamics or like dynamism especially when there's like m- some kind of movement or like fighting stuff sometimes it just feels like they're like moving the static character shape or like body position across the screen and you're supposed to fill in too many blanks so i would say i agree with pretty much everything that they said in this review except i would give it more stars well, I feel like this review kind of goes into the question I had for Jason because I saw your Letterboxd review. Um, you said that the second watch was a lot more fulfilling, I guess, or you got you were surprised at how much you got out of the second watch. Um, when this person says like weirdness for weirdness' sake, I feel like I picked up on you know there like there's obviously some thematic element. I don't feel like that's the only thing, but I do kind of feel that. Um, or I do at least like understand that, and so I. But I feel like you would disagree with that point. That that's the only reason why this movie was made was just to be weird. No, I pretty much agree with that. <laughs> I feel like I would kind of disagree with that. That sort of strikes me as um, people aren't immediately able to categorize something. They just go like, okay, like that was weird and like random. Uh. Which is just lazy. Like, obviously, he had a purpose beyond, like, I want to be weird because of how intensive the process of making this is. Like, he had to, he wrote the story, he directed it, animated it. It's like, he even says, he, you know, mentions how intensive the process is. And so you can't, you can't write it off that easily. Honestly, what I want to know even more than that is like how many people shared this vision with him, you know, like how I I almost wonder how collaborative of an effort it was because it really does feel like this singular work. Okay, so according to Letterboxd, Ujicha is the director, writer, editor, cinematographer, and art director. You have three producers and one composer. There's a lot of animators, but that's they don't get like mentioned. <laughs> so the real question would probably be how many animators are there. But even there, it sounds like they're just sort of on the edges, you know, or like they're they're you know contributing, but it's more so like I don't know. Obviously, every person involved has a creative output, but it sounds like they're more just to do the work as opposed to um, contribute towards the, like the overall direction, I guess. Um, which makes sense because that's how, I mean, that's how it comes across. That's how it feels. Uh, Edward, you mentioned like there potentially how you felt there might be something more there like thematically to deal with. And I just remembered both times I watched it, I had um, a thought about like thematically what things were pointing toward. 
And then both times, immediately afterwards, I uh, had kind of just like pushed that thought away. But to me, I feel like it's uh, sort of like a coming of age story, like coming into puberty or adolescence or whatever, where you went through all these traumatic events as a kid, and then you're just going to have to live with, um, you know, the trauma of that moving forward. Uh, it might change your body in some way, uh, maybe not physically, like you're not going to turn into a um, mutilated child, you know, with your skin turned inside out, but uh, your outside is reflecting, or your inside, I guess, is reflecting outside. Uh, it's affected by the things going on outside of you. Um, so that's kind of what I had picked out from it as maybe a reason for Ujicha to pursue a story like this. Yeah, I buy that. I mean, you have that excerpt when there was the like daughter of the mad scientist when she like she was having that conversation with him before the giant robot uh, fought or whatever. Um, yeah, she, I mean, she said something along those uh, like similar lines. Uh, or at least alluded to that because he said like, no, I didn't even have a chance to grow up. And then she said uh, like, no, no, like you'll just have to, you'll take this and there's so much more in your formative years that mm. you'll have with this. But then she was like, but then you're not going to have that because you're dying right now. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, t I totally buy that as something that uh, was on his mind with this. I would, I would even take it one step further and say that it's not really really like the trauma of so much as it's like the trauma of child sex abuse because now that i'm thinking about it in this way as body horror like trope has been done before the first thing i can think of is something like raw which kind of has that undertone to it but it's something that like comes from within her whereas in this movie the puberty or the like forced mutation is something that's done to the children by the old guy and you already have mentioned jason in your previous review and you know here in this episode that there's like definite pedophilic undertones with this movie and so i feel like it's more when you're a child and you're sexually abused or you're exposed to something like that you end up that's i think a symptom of or not like a symptom, but it's a sign that a child sexually abused is like they're aware of things that like they shouldn't be aware of. And they sort of talk about it in a, like they can like mention it in, in passing or it's like things that they like sort of treat casually that you're like, what, like what's going on there? And so that's what I'm, you know, thinking of is, is the guy who owns this childhood, child resort amusement park inflicts this stuff on them and then he escapes bobby escapes it but then he has to live with it the rest of his life and he has to make do and he has to like just you know be the best he can be with the trauma that was inflicted upon him so it's sort of like a survivor story that was almost another thing that was like uh what do you want to call it that made it disturbing in a way is the ending of the movie i don't felt like reflected um like how fucked up the whole thing was <laughs> like maybe maybe i'm the only well i don't know that last shot when he came to his mom 
And it was just like, look, mom, it's me. And then it cuts back to her. And it's like, boing. And then the credits roll. Yeah. I don't know. There's just something where they're like minimizing the magnitude of it, which also like reminded me of Goosebumps where they're left with some big deformity and then they almost like make a joke out of it. Um, but obviously in this one with <laughs> how does much like more disturbing this was that... Uh, I also think the abrupt shift to the teamwork uh, montage, like with the animals and it becomes kind of like silly all of a sudden contributes to that as well that's where i started to feel like i don't know if they took everything that's happened before seriously enough is there anything we want to mention really quick before we go to final thoughts all right then i shall start uh violence voyager it's another uh unjita movie that uh made me question a lot of things i was kind of scared watching it but also enjoying it at the same time and that, that's always a, at least a good sign that it's worth a watch because it's going to invoke something out of you, whether it be positive or negative. And that's what something that uh, good art should always do, even if it's as disturbing as hell. So, yeah, I definitely liked it more than Burning Buddha Man. And uh, I am eagerly awaiting its inevitable midnight movie run at like an independent movie theater in Chicago that I can drive up to go see or something. I was really glad to see the second movie from Ujicha being such a step up. I feel like the story was easier to grasp onto, the animation was cooler, and it was a little bit more shaped as like a narrative. And so I would, with this trajectory, I would be super eager to see what's come next. I don't know when Burning Buddha Man came out. This came out in 2018. So not sure when five year gap, five years. So we're due for another Ujicha movie next year or the year after that. So I hope there's another one and I hope it's, you know, he'll be able to reach a broader audience every time because he's someone that I feel like should be picked up by adult swim or like some kind of more mainstream channel for him to be able to display his work because he has something that no one else has and that's what keeps you coming to it is that you can't get it anywhere else yeah the animation in this was just uh great it's something that you're not going to be able to find with anybody else and it's just so unique combining um obviously like you know the paper uh animations and the um the other things like the fire and the goo always love that um and as you mentioned you know there's there's room to improve with that so i'm looking forward to that um, in whatever the next one he does is, and then just totally agree with all the things about, you know, the story being a lot uh, easier to follow and being, um, you know, something that is you know, better to take in with this one. Uh, I probably wouldn't have liked this one as much if I hadn't seen Burning Buddha Man first though. So I'm glad we started with that, at least to set like the expectations of how messed up this could be. Uh, so I'm definitely glad uh, we started with that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's very few people that can make me this uncomfortable while watching something. And I do think it is like the tonal shifts um, that add to that, you know, that they almost like add another level of unease on top of what you're already feeling from the story. Because you're like, okay, like I'm disturbed. Why isn't the movie treating it like this is disturbing? Like, am I, I'm not crazy, am I? Uh, and that, you know, 
that sort of thing sets in. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm definitely curious to see, uh, uh, see what his next one is. Like I love any type of form of media or whatever, where you can create a narrative um, and do it with some kind of stylistic flair. So like, obviously live action uh we've talked about anime animation stop motion and then coming upon this i was like this is something that i've never seen done bo done before i need to know more um and yeah like you said drew seeing the jump up in craftsmanship and quality i'm so excited to see if he continues making anything, what he makes, because it's just so interesting the way that his mind works um, and like the type of stories that he tells. And like we mentioned earlier, his art style too is just so bizarrely interesting. And I'm always enjoyably perplexed by his movies, I guess. <laughs> I did a little research uh, and it turns out he is working on his third movie and it's gonna take, quote, another three to four years so we got a little bit bit of a wait but it's happening that means it's gonna be big <laughs> yeah and with that being said drew let's find out what we're gonna be talking about next week uh so spin the wheel and see who it's gonna be it's anyone but jason and i did a quick google search on ujicha's next movie as well and apparently if you order the dvd of both the movies it includes a teaser of his newest movie but they didn't say what it is so it's an incentive to buy the DVD, I guess. Okay, Edward, what are we watching? Oh, okay. Um, next week, we're going to be watching what apparently was Jack Black's uh, first rise to fame, High Fidelity. Whoa. Cool. I was just... <laughs> I've never seen it. I haven't seen it either. I've seen it once, and my dad told me I wasn't allowed to watch it, and I had to leave.